Down through history, various political and philosophical movements have sprung up, but most of them have died. Some, however, like democracy or communism, take hold and affect the entire world. Here in the United States, perhaps the most challenging and unusual new philosophy has been forged by a novelist, Ayn Rand. Ms. Rand's point of view is still comparatively unknown in America, but if it ever did take hold, it would revolutionize our lives. And Ayn, to begin with, I wonder if I can ask you to capsulize, I know this is difficult, can I ask you to capsulize your philosophy? What uh, is Randism? Uh, first of all, I do not call it Randism, and I don't like that name. I right. call it objectivism. All right. Meaning a philosophy based on objective reality. Now let me explain it as briefly as I can. First, my philosophy is based on the concept that reality exists as an objective absolute. That man's mind, reason, is his means of perceiving it. And that man needs a rational morality. I am primarily the creator of a new code of morality which has so far been believed impossible, namely a morality not based on faith. On faith. Not on faith, not on arbitrary whim, not on emotion, not on arbitrary edict, mystical or social, but on reason, a morality which can be proved by means of logic, which can be demonstrated to be true and necessary. All right. All right. Now, may I define what my morality is? All right. Because this is merely an introduction. My morality is based on man's life as a standard of value. And since man's mind is his basic means of survival, I hold that if man wants to live on earth and to live as a human being, he has to hold reason as an absolute, by which I mean that he has to hold reason as his only guide to action, and that he must live by the independent judgment of his own mind, that his highest moral purpose is the achievement of his own happiness, and that he must not force other people, nor accept their right to force him, that each man must live as an end in himself and follow his own rational self-interest. May I interrupt now? You may. Colin, thank you for joining us because uh, today is Mike's birthday and he told us and then we forgot and then I was like scheduling and he's like, I don't know if I'll be like conscious or like present to be able to do the uh, to do the episode. I'm like, okay, well, Colin can take over. You are our, uh, you're a token mic right now. All right. So you know. Well, that's, that's some big shoes to fill, but uh, Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not going to chase a different carrot. We have to find another vegetable for you to chase. Um, let's see, like a beet or something, or like a some other root vegetable. Well, I'm, I'm growing beets in my garden this year for the first time. Oh, so. perfect. Okay, yeah, that works. Okay, all right. Let's try there. Yeah, so... I started watching that documentary, the Adam Curtis documentary, but I've been really busy and I feel terrible because I did this last time with Nomadland. I only watched like half of it um, yeah. before we started. Um, I've been 
doing this giant project that I just decided to do. And so I've been swamped with that. But I did watch like the beginning of it. And I, I have some insights just because it's talking about Ayn Rand so much at the beginning and the influence that she's had. And yeah. I had like a phase in my early 20s where I read The Fountainhead and, and Atlas Shrugged. I'm sorry. Uh, well, like, I mean, <laughs> I just, <laughs> I know, right? Like, it was actually good because, like, I was able to get, I understand it, you know? Like, I have the mindset and considering how influential she is in, um, like, U.S. politics and um, economics and, like, with the Silicon Valley people that were mentioned there at the beginning... Like, I get it. Like, I, I'm, I don't believe in it. I think it's terrible. It's a terrible philosophy uh, to live by. Um, but I understand it. And it's just fascinating to me to see the trajectory of, like, uh, the Silicon Valley, like, modern tech, the economy, and the influence that she had on, like, Alan Greenspan and how he affected, like, I'm just talking about the beginning that I saw. But I just think, like, yeah. the profound effect that this one woman had and it was so f- interesting because, like, when she came out with Atlas Shrugged, I mean, she was not – it was, like, hated. Like, people fucking hated that book. It's a giant fucking book, and it's just these long monologues from these characters talking about, like, how great money is and, you know, this sort of um, uh, selfishness that's, like, ethical and moral. And, like, she does so many things in that book that, you know, you read it and you're just like, fuck, man, like – I don't know. And and I think also what's interesting just from my perspective is there's so much sex in the books too. I don't know if you've read any of them, but like there's so much sexuality in there because she's an atheist. And so she's just very like, yeah, everybody just like should have sex with each other kind of thing. But I think that's kind of the allure of it. I think she mixes this sort of for philosophy with this sort of sexual potent energy. Um, and I think that's part of like what hooks people into, um, into it a bit. Yeah. They they even talked about that. I don't know if you got far enough in it, but later on they talk about like when her little group is going and, uh, and they get real incestuous with each other and, you know, she breaks up like marriages yeah, and then, you know, tells like the guys and the girls that they shouldn't be selfish. They should sleep with her and yeah. And that, but then when it finally turns around and those rules try to get applied to her, she's, you know, clearly not as happy with that outcome. So, no, he's kind of a hypocrite as well as, uh, you know, a bad writer. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, but no, I've never actually read any of her books all the way through because I, I just flipped them open and, yeah, like just the pages and pages of exposition. You're like, you realize you could just write a straight up, your bad philosophy book and not have to like couch it in. Um, supposed fiction and characters. <laughs> well, you know, she came from, and it mentions this in the documentary, she came from, like, uh, I mean, she's, she's originally she's from Russia, obviously, and her family had to leave because yeah. of the Russian Revolution and the Bolshevik government taking over and all this. And I think her family was, like, uh, kind of, like, upper middle class, like, bourgeoisie. Um, but they left, and she, of course, had a deep hatred for communism and all this stuff. But, like, she went to Hollywood. Like, that was where she went. So she was involved. She, I think she tried to write some screenplays. So she, I think she's just really invested in, like, the heroic narratives. And she felt like... I, th- I My impression of her was, like, the best way to convey her philosophy was through um, 
these characters, these heroic characters that were overcoming, you know, the state and the oppression of the state and of these altruistic, seemingly altruistic forces, egalitarian forces that are trying to, you know, suck the creativity and the life out of people. Um, so later on, I think she did actually just write straight up philosophical books, but um, it was after she had published uh, Atlas Shrugged. Uh, so, but I, I mean, I don't know. And it's interesting because it mentioned in the documentary too, that it's the second most read or most influential book in the United States behind the Bible. And it's, (laughs) it says a lot. It says a lot. (laughs) It says a lot about the U S population and, and like what is attractive to Americans. Um, yeah, it's, it's a fucking trip. Yeah. Thousands and thousands of pages of greed is good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's literally like whole, like the, the, what's so funny about the book is like, there's like really unrealistic scenarios that would happen where you have um, like some very wealthy, you know, um, person, like there's the heroes are all wealthy people and they'll be at some like party, some ball or some banquet thing. And then, like, everyone's just talking, and then one of the characters just goes on a, like, 10-page monologue about why money is the most beautiful thing. Like, money is beautiful, and for all of these reasons. Um, I'm like, that doesn't fucking happen in real life. (laughs) People don't just take over a party and talk about, you know, why money's awesome. I don't know. Maybe I just go to the wrong parties, but... uh. I've never been to an Ayn Rand party, so maybe... You know, maybe they have the good parties. Well, they're kinky. I mean, there's like a whole polyamorous <laughs> thing going on there. Apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um, no, I mean, <laughs> um, I, I sent Forrest a message to see. Uh, I, I didn't send him one directly. I tried to I tried to ding him real quick. Yeah, um, I saw that. It, um, but any, anyways, yeah, with, um, I, I guess I underestimated the power of, uh, of Rand's work, you know, and, and you reference that stat, like the second most read book, you know, in, in the U S behind the Bible, like, <laughs> like the implicate, just the implications of that, like, fuck man. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just, just that thinking that, uh, that, that Curtis gets into towards the end of, uh, the first of the three parts where, um, like the statement is read that, you know, when I die, the world dies and just, you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thinking, um, you know, really does explain how, how we got here, you know, to this, to this point. Yeah. You know, I wonder, I, I wonder with it being like the second most read book, uh, behind the Bible, I wonder if it's, you know, quote unquote read by people the same way the Bible is. Cause like I, a lot more people, I think say they read the Bible and actually do or have, or at least in my experience of talking to people that, you know, yeah, work to be very Christian. Um, yeah. So I wonder, there's probably a lot of lying going on in those polls too. Cause I, with the attention span that average American has, I don't see how they could actually sit through those books. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, well, they're, they're painful. I think, uh, <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, um, I think what am I trying to say here like there's a certain point where like it's like 
I don't know. What's this? I'm going to think of a really stupid example, but like Star Wars. Okay. Everybody knows what the Force is. Everybody knows what Jedis are. Everybody knows what a lightsaber sounds like. Like everyone just has like, it's like in the cultural consciousness or whatever. Like everyone just like knows what it is. You don't have to watch the movies to understand the premise of it or what it is. It's just so pervasive. And I think within especially like political circles, economists, and these people, like it's just an influential um, framework to look at things through. And it's like they were interviewing those tech executives, these like um, entrepreneurs in Silicon Valley. Yeah, I imagine a lot of them probably have read it because I, I think that makes sense. But I think like, I don't remember, there was some people in the Trump administration and like other Republicans that have um, cited her as an inspiration. And, and these are like evangelical Christians. And I think that's what is really fascinating is like, how her spread of thought, her the way the way her um, philosophy is spread is that. You read her book. I mean, it's like, one moment it's like, yeah, all these long diatribes on, uh, you know the, the value of selfishness and all this, but then it goes into another part where it's like they're having sex, and it's just like this explicit like steamy sex scene, and I'm like, I can't imagine, fucking Mike Pompeo like. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, he's a freak. I don't know. But just like getting through like those parts where <laughs> it's like really explicitly and she's like, you know, spitting in the face of like organized religion repeatedly throughout it. So it's like, I think it's the same with the Bible, actually. Like they cherry pick what makes sense yeah. to them. And they're like, yeah, I get the philosophy and I like it, but I don't like all that sex stuff that she throws in there or the anti-religion stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that for sure. Yeah, but Colin, like, I'm curious about you, though. Like, I don't know that much about you, and I think it was I don't know, maybe through your correspondence with Jeff, but Jeff was uh, recommending we watch this documentary before we talked. Um, what is your fascination with uh, Adam Curtis documentaries and this one specifically, I guess? I mean, Sorry about I, the dogs. They're, I'm currently like pet sitting my sister's dogs while they're on vacation. So <laughs> I'm the one with the dogs. Drink. I'm taking over. <laughs> so sorry. Anyway. Um, so, I mean, I can't honestly remember how I got into them. I think a friend of mine from England actually told me that I should watch like Bitter Lake, like one of hmm. his documentaries. And then. I was like, oh, yeah, this is, like, right up my uh, alley with just the references. I, I think they're really well done. How I, I don't really understand how the BBC still gives them access to all of their archives, considering, like, he seems to make, like, way more subversive things than the BBC normally yeah. wants to publicize. But but it works. And, um, I mean, so I'll watch, I'll watch Dover by Machines 11 Grace. I, you know, I'm a computer programmer and like, so I guess much the way you like kind of first, you know, you read Ayn Rand in your twenties, like when I was in my early twenties, that, that whole California ideology thing, like I still believe that, like, I thought we were going to like make the world better with computers and, and that like technology was like basically an inherently good thing. Um, which, you know, when you get older, you put away childish things, but, but at the time, <laughs> you know, so it, that, that particular one struck me when I was like, oh yeah, it wasn't just me. Like it was like a movement, like people really believed this, but on like a, 
on like a deeper level, you know, like the California ideology is basically just taking like neoliberal capitalism and putting like a hippie sheen on it to make it mm. sound like something other than it is. You know, I could. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was I was reading some review of his the other day, and the the people brought up like you know the fearless girl on Wall Street now that like stands off against the bull. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That that statue was put there by uh, a firm that actually had been sued and had to pay out for um, not paying women and their staff equally. Um, but you know they still did this feminist thing by. Or you know, supposedly sticking it out there, and uh, um, so yeah, I mean, I, that's pretty rambly, non-answer, but <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so being in, uh, doing what you do, then I mean, is that I mean, how have you you have had this ideology or this belief that technology is inherently good, um, and that You know, because I've had that view too. Um, I, I grew out of that, I suppose. But yeah, you just see this thing. It's done this infinite progress and like somehow by its very nature, somehow it's just going to evolve into something that's going to make the world a better place. Um, kind of the shiny optimism of the early days of the internet because I think all of us were, obviously all of us were there during that time. So we all felt that. Um, but now we're in 2021 and it seems like we've gone the exact opposite direction, <laughs> like in yeah. every way. Um, it's just interesting. It's like, I wonder what, like for you, what uh, what came up for you in, in doing the kind of work you do, where it's just like the, the ideology, the California ideology or philosophy, like you started to really see the flaws in it. Like what, what came up for you in that? Um, well, it, it, like to be like, it was Derek Jensen largely. Um, I, I had a friend from Eugene when I was living in Connecticut and he was like, you've got to read this book and tried to like, tell me what it was about. And I was like, no, dude, collapse isn't going to happen. Like if it does, we'll just build it back better. And, uh, mm. but, but then I actually did start reading it and I was just like, oh fuck, we really are fucked. Um, mm -hmm. and then kind of like everything I've learned since then um reinforces that so i mean now now i just look at technology as like tools that we're using really to like accelerate that destruction and yeah but, I, but it's my job at this point so we're all kind of entrapped or enclosed in the the system to yeah. a certain degree and uh where we can be as aware of it as as we may we may become really aware of where it's leading, but it's like what do we do individually to get out of it? And you gotta do what you have to do to survive. And you build a certain skill set over the years. It's like, well, you can abandon that? <laughs> you're just gonna like give up? You know? Yeah, well and just like I mean, so so like Adam Curtis's documentaries too, like kind of all of them, if you take them as a whole, like all of them basically, at least to me, um, like they all kind of have the same theme that like humans go into like a certain realm, you know, and they they create like stories and this and a a structure like a a model basically of how they think the world works, and then they start planning everything based on that. Mm -hmm. And those models are simplifications of 
actual nature and they don't, they're not like one-to-one, -one, you know, you're not really experiencing the thing, you're experiencing the model of the thing. Right. And, and that, you know, leads to really wild outcomes when you're expecting, expecting reality to work like computers, you know, and it, in that, that particular documentary, all our, all watched over by machines and loving grace is really explicit about that. But, you know, all of them, he kind of draws the same things that we have these, these ideas that maybe like, you know, that we can actually, like they talk about even the concept of ecosystems is, is a simplification, you know, mm -hmm. like, and, and really like you guys were talking about it on a, that episode I referenced the other day about how just like things are too complicated for any one person to possibly like get their head around it. So you're always just kind of pulling it at certain strands. And, um, but somehow we've built these artifices that, you know, are clearly running away from us at this point. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So well, it's, it seems like with the emphasis on artificial intelligence and algorithms and, having these massive um, these computer systems in place to help manage the flow of information and which is now it's just like turned into this different thing. Cause it seemed like at one point it was like human beings were planning everything out uh, as far as on a mass uh, societal level. And then we're like, well, we need help now. Let's develop these complex computer systems that can help us manage uh, all of this. And then it, Seems like that just got carried away too. Like it just, no matter what we do on the mass scale, it's always just gonna become overly complex, and it's just never going to uh, work out. <laughs> no, <probably. laughs> yeah, not. Yeah. I mean, we're... yeah. Jeff. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna say that, you know, I I do have, um, you know, the Derek Jensen you know, book in common, you know, with you, Colin, in terms of, um, like the power that that had to like really open my eyes, like to the, you know, to these things. Um, you know, but the first time I saw, uh, an Adam Curtis film, um, was around the same time that I was reading Endgame, And in, in, in the film was recommended, was suggested to me shortly after uh, my father died in 2007 by one of his, um, you know, good friends who, you know, at the time was living um, a lifestyle similar to, to, to Mike, where he, you know, had, you know, I, I think it was a couple hundred acres in um, like Northeastern Arizona, a little, a little town called Snowflake. And he just, he had given me a list of about 10 films, but on the top of that list was this Adam Curtis film, Century of the Cell. And I mean, it was absolutely paradigm, you know, shifting, you know, for me, you know, to see, um, you know, to see the way this, this filmmaker, <laughs> I mean, he's a master of, of storytelling. I mean, he really is. And he does an incredible job of breaking down like these systems and, 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 you know, and one of those that, you know, we've been talking about, you know, is, you know, the internet and how the internet works in these algorithms. And, you know, quite honestly, you know, if the algorithms worked, you know, back in 2014, the way that they do now, 
you know, I can say confidently, I wouldn't know you, Mike, Forrest, um, you know, or I don't know how many people, you know, Mm -hmm. like these, I mean, these things, you know, social media, Facebook in particular worked so differently back then to where, you know, I mean, I think, (laughs) I mean, I think I got close, I think I got closer to you, close to you back then, um, because you were so good at like throwing shade, <laughs> like, um, for Forrest would, you know, he writes these epic essays or, you know, or he would respond to news stories. And at the time, um, you know, there were hundreds of interactions on these with people from all over, like the political spectrum. And I mean, he was really, um, you know, we weren't kept separate. Uh, back in, you know, back in those days. And I mean, he was really bringing out, um, you know, some, some bigots and, you know, Colin was one of the, you know, the people consistently in there, um, you know, just kind of bringing the thunder and, um, you know, and I do think about, um, you know, where that leaves us, you know, now to where, um, we've got our echo chambers and it leaves, it's creating these blind spots where, um, you know, we have this very real, you know, fascist movement that sunk its teeth in and consolidating its power and changing laws to, you know, make sure that, um, you know, they never lose an election again, you know, happening, you know, over in this area and, you know, and you've got liberals or progressives, you know, kind of, you know, in their own little space thinking that Joe Biden's the new FDR and, you know, and meanwhile, I'm just thinking about how, um, you know, these tech oligarchs, these, you know, Silicon Valley, um, giants that have fucking enormous power, um, like what, like where are they steering, you know, this thing and where, you know, where does it go, you know, kind of from here? I mean, we saw their, I mean, we saw the megaphone that it gave, um, you know, and, and I want to be authoritarian, like, like Donald Trump. I mean, we saw it, an attempted coup, you know, come from this and, you know, we see it around the world to where, you know, these tech oligarchies can, you know, can really control who rules, who stays in power and, and, you know, and whatnot. And, mm-hmm. you know, you watch Adam Curtis and you, you, you know, you look at his work and the way he, um, you know, like you mentioned, like, you don't know why he still gets access, you know, to the BBC. And I've thought that my, to their archives. And I've thought that myself, like he does some really subversive shit, but it's also really frightening (laughs) the implications, you know, of, of his work. Yeah. Hey, Patrick, was that Raytheon banner at the front of the pride parade thing you posted today? That was that non Photoshop? Like that was real. I have no idea, but it might as well be real. <laughs> yeah, because that, that's like exactly like, that's that's exactly like the California ideology there, like putting putting like a woke spin on like carry contracting. Yeah. <laughs> it, it seems like something that just shouldn't blend, but they somehow convinced people that like. Well, yeah, like, there's we're like friendly, we're a friendly company. Yeah, and that's, <laughs> and that's the thing, right? Is like these these big companies and. Uh, you know, they're, they're like, it's pride month or whatever. So now they're going to have, you know, rainbow flags everywhere and all their brands. And it's just like, it's just, yeah, it's just this woke capitalism. Um, and I don't know if the Raytheon thing is real, but it might as well be. I mean, they probably have a fucking 
you know, float at the parade that they've made of like an, some jet that they're working on or something. And it's just like, I don't know. It's just like, it's just ridiculous. It's like the way that identity politics and, and nothing against identity politics in general, it's what it is, but it's easily co-opted by these giant corporations and, you know, the empire, but rainbow color cruise missiles everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, (laughs) yeah, it's like a, it's a, yeah, yeah. Rainbow colored, uh, hellfire missile. That's like there to, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you see it, you see it with, uh, the black lives matter movement, you know, Mm -hmm. with, with Nike and under armor and Apple and, you know, all of these, um, multinational giant, you know, corporations that get all their shit made by, you know, poor black, you know, poor black and brown people, you know, from overseas, but yet, you know, we want to be woke. So we're going to, you know, we're going to mm-hmm. throw black lives matter up on our website for, you know, a few days or, you know, or some shit, but yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. Ugh, we just live in a really weird dystopia. Like we talk about this every time, but it's just like, it's just so weird. It's just really, really weird. Um, it's hard to make sense of it anymore. And like, I don't know. I think that well, there's been a lot of great like novels and movies and stuff that have helped maybe envision it a little bit, but I don't think anyone could have really like accurately uh, envisioned the way things are going currently. You know, yeah. <laughs> Plato's Republic did 2,500 years ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, you got to go back a few thousand years, but you know. <laughs> oh Christ. Hey, Forrest, are you there? Yes, I'm here now. Hello. Finally. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> My apologies. You're good. Uh, You're the most stylish one here. You're always late, and uh, and it's an endearing quality. That's not good. <laughs> no, that's not good. <laughs> you see, like, it, the, the crux of my life has always been Murphy's Law. If something can go wrong, it's going to go wrong for me. That's all, that's all I can say, man. Are you doing okay? Uh, how's everyone doing, though? Good, man. Good. Good. I'm surviving. Survival. So I, I heard you almost had a revolt to get me on here for us, huh? Yeah, man. You know, I, yeah, I campaigned for your heart. <laughs> I was on the stop. What, yeah, about did. a month ago? When's the last time we recorded? About three or four like weeks ago? Three, three, four weeks, yeah. Yeah, you were banging yeah, the table. Right. You were very, very adamant. Right. Uh-huh. We had to kick yeah. the mic out I, to make it work. And so, I don't know. It's yeah, not if it's no, worth uh-huh. it. No, nah, he just, he didn't feel like slumming today. So he decided to <laughs> he's, kick uh, us to the curb. He's, a, he's his birthday today. Mike's yeah. birthday. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. Hopefully he, we asked him to record something for this episode. Just a little message. But I don't know. We got to bug him again to do that. It's probably like probably tripping um, on some kind of like exotic frog psychedelic of some kind. It's like <laughs> took a stick and like rubbed it against the glands of a toad that he found in the desert and snorted it. And he's speaking to the ancestors right now, which is great. I mean, I support it. I support yeah. it. He's been he's been going with that. He's on that path, and I, I love it. <laughs> Really, really freaking out the other guy in the Denny's bathroom, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Oh my god. Ugh. Yeah. So, 
I'm glad everyone's here. This is great. This is good. Uh, Don't let me bust up the party. What were we talking about? We were uh, we were discussing the documentary, the Adam Curtis documentary, a little bit, and uh, we were discussing Ayn Rand um, and her influence on a lot of things. And so that's kind of what we were discussing in technology and the the way it's progressed, you could call it, or the trajectory that we've gone down with technology. And I think, Jeff, you were mentioning just how we all met each other through Facebook and how the algorithms have changed so much that, you know, maybe, I don't know, even now, I don't even know if like now how things are that we would have, I guess we would have still met each other. I don't know. We're all kind of in our own echo chambers now. I think we would have crossed. We'd be our own echo chamber, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but yeah, definitely the interaction on Forest's page. I don't, I don't know if you made your page private, Forest, or whatever, but there used to be a lot more like overt, like clan members or one of them. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? I came in too late. Damn it! Ugh. Fuck. They swapped yeah. those fucking clan hoods for maga hats. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Fuck. I mean, to be quite honest with you, I would, uh, I think it'd be a lot worse today. I think we can all agree with that. If, uh, I did still have an open Facebook, but, uh, it's, it's pretty rough anyhow. I mean, I think about how many people it is that I've lost as friends or acquaintances on Facebook just through the whole, uh, uh, pandemic or as they like to call it, pandemic. So, um, yeah. And if these people who, just a year or two ago were saying, if they're off the reservation, for lack of a better term, then I shudder to think what a lot of the people that I had interacted with previously in Facebook are right now. I think a lot of them would be like uh, uh, storming the castle in DC, right, the Capitol bill. I think that a lot of the people that uh, would come on my Facebook page and then we would have a discussion and not a, not a nice discussion, but a, a short discourse. I think that they are the people who not only would be there, but are with them in spirit. And I think there's a lot more people than most people recognize, to be quite honest with you. It's a mm-hmm. lot more people. It, it's been pretty, it's been really weird with the pandemic, like watching uh, people that I thought were like normal and, smart like go literally conspiracy theory loony like to where I, I don't know they just don't like you're right like two a year or two ago they were seen seemed totally intelligent and shit and now now i've had to like ban them or mute them at least for extensive periods of time. <laughs> well you know i think you know i was thinking about this because forrest you've brought this up but i think it's like as soon as uh people's because like the, the pervasiveness of people comparing mask mandates and other restrictions supposedly these are so, so-called restrictions on them they how many and they're always white people by the way just just a note it's important to note that they're always yeah. like let's compare this to the fucking Holocaust. And these are like politicians, right? <laughs> they're like, they're like really public figures. They have huge audiences and they're like, yeah, like being forced to wear a mask in public. And I mean, forced, you just can't go into certain places sometimes. Like that's it. Like where I live, you don't have to go. There's Even the places that still have the wear masks signs on their stores. I go in there 
and half the people aren't wearing masks and nothing happens to them. So it's like, it depends on where you're at, I guess. But nonetheless, like the, the fact that that's being compared to one of the most horrific, one of the most horrific crimes that have been committed in like modern history in the last century it just kind of and i don't think that they realize that that's uh, not just offensive but completely outrageous yeah just like how insane that comparison really is uh, you know yeah like my and yeah you're you know it's not that anybody was actually forcing anyone or really even restricting you because like my my wife worked at um as a checkout clerk for a while before she got you know her phd funding and, uh, and they, you know, they were specifically told like, no, you can't, I mean, you can like ask them to put on a mask, but we're not going to do anything to them if they don't, uh, we don't want our staff getting in a fight with them because they, you know, a lot of these people are not, um, totally hinged <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, so they just didn't want any, any scenes to happen. So they were just like, yeah, no, just we'll put a sign on the door, but if they don't, they don't do it then they don't do it but it's like how, like really how entitled do you have to be like you know i i have a mother i have a mother with like a weak immune system that has a lot of allergies so she can't even take the vaccine because she's allergic to propylene glycol mm. and so you know i'm like dude like you're you know even now like i i'm still wearing a mask just because i don't want to for one i don't want people to think i'm one of those people that doesn't <laughs> like, <laughs> you know? I, I don't want to kill anybody's grandparents or like, you know, anybody yeah. here. Like, just it's not it, like it's not a big deal. Like wearing a mask isn't a big deal. But, yeah, yeah. I I kind of appreciate the anonymity that it provides. It's kind of nice. <laughs> I mean, dude, I loved ninjas as a kid. I was I was grown up for this time. Like I was raised. For <laughs> Yeah. I am curious if it, 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 it sure beats wearing a pair of underwear over your head back in the day when you're a little kid, tend to be Superman <laughs> or Mike right now with whatever drug he's on. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Oh. No, I mean, I just, I just see it as a. Because here's the thing: when you look at the fact that now, as you say, it's the same thing here in Houston, where a lot of people are going maskless now. Regardless of what's on the doors of the stores or whatever it may be, so people are pretty much doing what they want to what they want to do. Now, here's the thing that is just so sickening and disgusting to me: it's the fact that if you actually believe that it was this furor at the grassroots level that's the cause of now we don't have any mask or or that the uh, vaccines now are in place and they're not going to take this and another. At the end of the day. What you've done is make some of the most right-wing, vitriolic, toxic, sick individuals heroes. That's the thing that's mind-boggling to me. I mean, these are some of the most rancid people in the world on the right. And it seems as if on the left, those that do think that it is a pandemic, they're more on the right that are actually like pushing this hard. So you have basically just given up all, I guess, concept of what these people are on right. Because at the end of the day, you have to look at Marjorie Taylor Greene as, and these a lot of people that I'm cool with that I know, you have to look at her as like a, a heroic figure. Because when she does equate it to the Holocaust, you would have to agree with her in, 
in word and deed because you're on the left and you have this one singular thing that you believe that you guys can agree upon. Now, what I want to find out is what people are going to do when everything else that's calling us, causing us issues in, in America are going to come to the fore. I mean, climate change is affecting us, yes, but it's 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 pretty marginal, minimalized here in the United States. You know, you got Pacific Islanders that have some issues now with uh, sea level rise, but we're not really seeing it. But in another five or 10 years, it's really going to be at the fore. And a lot of these people who have this, I guess, agreement on this one issue where they've just suspended concern about all the others are, I don't know if they're going to continue to gang up, but I'm going to tell you something, man. Mark my words. I think a lot of people on the left are going to, I want to say turn rightward and say, like, oh, no, this isn't climate change. It's not like this. They just want to control us for that reason. Right. So even though there's some people today who believe it, I think in another five or 10 years, they're going to say, oh, no, this is not how they envisioned it. And they're going to turn rightward and thinking that it's just a conspiracy to to do something to us. Right? Yeah. Well, that's, what I, that's what I mean about the entitlement. It's like once once the rubber really hits the road and you're asked to do something, even like extremely minor things like wearing a mask, these people like don't seem to want to even make that, exactly. you know, even that quote unquote sacrifice, um, you know, so yeah, like when it actually counts, like how, what, what kind of resilient communities are those people going to get themselves involved in? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, the uh, the looming sphere of climate disruption is always there, and uh, like I think, yeah, Forrest, you've said this too, you know, and like all of us have in our own way, which is just that this is a trial run, or this is like a, you know, how people reacted to this thing, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> is an indication of like what's going to happen when more severe cataclysms <laughs> come down the pipe, and also, I'm curious about this. It came up in my head because you know. I, we've what it's been a year and a half now since this virus was detected in China and began spreading and everything that happened since then. And there was a t now I do think that I I don't know what to think actually, but I, I just want to get your thoughts. I just want to get your opinions on this because I think this does fit into this idea of like the way information is controlled, and uh, you know we talked about algorithms and the internet and so on, and. There is a certain element of um, uh, kind of, I don't know if randomness is there, but certain things start trending and become really pervasive in the culture. And and I think that's what led to what happened on January 6th, that kind of a thing. Like that's a, that's a culmination of some of those trends. But I think like the, the theory that um, that the virus came from a lab in Wuhan. So for a long time, it was like a taboo to mention that like you couldn't get a, a respected scientist or researcher or journalist even to write about it or talk about that. It was just not something that they wanted to touch. Mm -hmm. And then now like over the past month or so, I've been seeing all these articles come up about the theory of the, the lab, the viro virology lab in Wuhan having some kind of contamination leak or something, something happened. People got sick there and it got out I don't know. I'm curious how like the timing of things, because I don't want to be this conspiracist about it, but I also understand that certain stories get put into the press at specific moments to elicit certain types of public reactions and a certain point of view to emerge and become a part of the, the, um, 
the kind of the Overton window, I guess. So like, you know, like a big example is like what happened leading up to the war in Iraq, you know, certain types of information, completely unsubstantiated claims about weapons of mass destruction and connections to 9-11 and Al-Qaeda and all this shit started coming out completely unsubstantiated, but it was at least being said. And it started to shift the public opinion in a certain direction where they became acceptable to support a war that was so obviously completely unnecessary. Um, and I think that we could see that happening over and over again. So I'm wondering, I, I don't know. I just, I'm curious what each of your thoughts are about the fact that, well, yeah, yeah, Jeff. If, if, well, 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 if I can, and because this will tie it back um, to Adam Curtis's work and, and, and one of the criticisms I have, you know, of it. Um, okay. So during um, the, the film, um, that we watched what was that called all watched over by machines of love and grace is that mm-hmm. the yeah so anyways um in that he talks about china buying up massive uh you know the massive debt you know of, of the u of the u.s and and dumping or or i think the quote was flooding the united states with cheap consumer goods mm. and like the phrasing of that like struck me kind of odd because it's i mean i mean really this is about um you know, Americans, you know, thirst, you know, for, you know, for this shit. And it just, it, it seemed, and I had noticed that, you know, in his work, um, and I, I guess I just had questions about, um, Kurt, you know, Curtis's stance on China, um, and, and, and where he was potentially like leading his viewers and, you know, to bring it back more specifically to what Patrick was talking about, you know, this linking it to a linking the coronavirus, COVID-19 to a Wuhan lab, I feel is absolutely about the American empire being able to destabilize and, you know, and attack um, China, the right, you know, the rising dragon and, you know, in, in their power. OK, as 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 China, um, you know, has taken a more aggressive um sort of uh foreign policy in that um you know they've they're they're dumping large sums of money like in every nation in Africa building up infrastructure building up um all you know all sorts of things you know with the same sorts of strings attached that you know like the world bank and and whatnot you know does okay but in their rise what what's also happening is you know t- take australia for instance cuz i'm 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 familiar more familiar with there. Okay. Australia is kind of, is, is America's basement gimp, um, in the region, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, Australia is, you know, part of Asia. You've got some very critical U S bases there on the South China sea. And you've, you've got the U S acting belligerently, you know, in this re you know, in this region, you know, and you've got Australia following along, you know, with it, you know, and with that China has put, um, you know, what in essence, are, you know, these bans on beef, barley, wine, and, and, you know, and whatnot. So what, what they did was they, they made, they made us, you know, China is Australia's largest trading partner by far. And it's not even, I mean, it's not even close. So what, what was done was they created, you know, they made us, you know, Australians made themselves dependent, you know, on, on Chinese money, you know, but Australians, or Australia is is still willing to carry out, you know, the agenda of the U S empire, 
um, you know, in the region. And China kind of, you know, said I had enough, you know, and this has happened in um, like Taiwan, you know, for instance, with, I believe, like their pineapple crop to, you know, and, and the, the response from the U.S. empire, and, well, it was in response to the U.S. empire's, you know, weapon sales and putting um, like an F-16 uh, jet facility, you know, kind, kind of there. So you've got this... Um, uh, it's, it's referred to as Thucydides trap where you've got this clash of empires. And most times throughout human history, it's led to, you know, actual wars with, with the one except with one of the exceptions being like the cold war, uh, us Soviet union. Um, you know, so, I mean, we, I mean, so we've got all of this stuff going on and the U S empire has every, um, every reason to do everything they can to try to pin COVID-19 on this Wuhan lab, whether it act, whether there's actually anything behind it, you know, or not, you know, they'll just throw a bunch of shit at the wall and see what sticks, you know, and go for it. I mean, this is very much, um, you know, a, a, you know, the West, you know, teaming up against the rising dragon. The rising dragon. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Damn. Yeah. Well, I mean, not not to go into that as deep as Jeff just did, but my my main thing when you asked that question was just I you know because yeah they started off saying like no there's no connection to China it just came from nature and and all these all these conspiracy theorists are sitting there like no it definitely came from China or you know the former president in, included among them and now if you know whatever now that there's you know, they say there's a scientific basis or we should at least look into it. If they do really come out with some information that says that it did come from a lab in Wuhan, like these, these motherfuckers are never going to let it go to bed. You know, they're, it's like, <laughs> we're going to hear about that for the end of time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think the way that the, I've had, uh, I've listened to a scientist talk about it. They're like, well, the, the, the way the theory started, the conspiracy theory is like, it's a man-made virus. Like they made it and then it got released or it was leaked or whatever. But then the science is like, well, you know, what is possible is that this virus came from nature just like we hypothesized because that's the most likely thing because that's what it looks like when we look at the virus. That's how most viruses, like it's really difficult to make a virus that's like, like COVID uh, or uh, SARS-CoV, uh, whatever it's called. But um, the, um, the the fact is they could have had it, like they, they could have found it in nature. They might have brought it to their lab in order to test it, and then that's when it leaked. So either way, I don't know. It doesn't really matter because I think ultimately the – I mean, it does matter, but I guess the ultimate point is that it came from nature because that's – how these things like out of like, all the pandemics that have ever existed through human history have come from the natural world. And it's always come from human beings interfering directly with the ecologies or the various regions that they're in. And we've like expanded and developed so thoroughly and so widely around the world now that we're encountering viruses and other species, other animals that we normally wouldn't be in such direct contact with regularly. So the chances of a virus crossing over and spilling over into human populations only ex increases dramatically as this stuff happens. So I don't know. It's, um, it seems that's why I was curious about what your thoughts were about why this information is now being taken more seriously, because it seems like 
it's an opportune moment in some way. Like it's like building a certain consensus in the population um, where, okay, there was the conspiracy theory stuff, but now let's try to build like an actual scientific or rational basis for this hypothesis. And then we can use it on some other, in some sort of way uh, involving, you know, the foreign policy aims of the U S government. Well, that's, that's where I think Jeff is totally right. That, yeah. you know, kind of now that we don't have Trump in office anymore, the Russiagate thing isn't um, as useful for propaganda towards the, you know, non-West. So it's now time to point things back at China. Right. We've always got our propaganda aims. and Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think that um, the reason why now a lot of people are focusing like, okay, well, where exactly did it come from? Right. And as you, as you say, Patrick, They've been saying this before, but right now it's really starting to, uh, I guess, gather steam, right? In in a uh, on the online community, a lot of our online communities, and I think the reason is that recently at my slave, for everybody else, a slave as my job, my my nine to five, <laughs> how I put food on my table. That's it. <laughs> that's what that means. But um, there was an issue in one of the labs where this printed circuit board burned up, right? It's a piece of test equipment. And a young engineer was doing something and he didn't take the necessary precautions. Now, when it first happened, it was like, just, hey, make sure nobody dies, fix the problem, this, that, and other. But now we're going back and saying, okay, where were we derelict in our processes where this could have happened? So I think that's where we're at now when it comes to the, the Roman, right? Okay, now we have it contained. So now let's sit back and think about, did it really come from the lab? Mm -hmm. Maybe, and I'm open to that also. But here's the thing, though. There's only two ways to really find out the truth. It's either an investigation through, like, reporters where there's, like, some smoking gun, an email, somebody wrote a a note, or something like that, right? Woodward and Bernstein, right? You do the investigative report. Or you actually go to the lab and you disprove the fact of what they're saying happened, happened, right? So that's what you do. It's the same way, I mean, I'm an electrical engineer. So if I want to prove like a circuit works or doesn't work, well, I build it up, I do my testing, and I'm like, now that works. And then if somebody has a design that doesn't work, in order to disprove it, as you put it together, it's like, nah, that shit's not working. So you can either attack it from a scientific basis or from an investigative reporting basis. There was a, a really long article, and a few people posted it on uh, on Facebook. And it, it, it is long. Uh, I'm trying to remember who wrote it. It's a guy who's on the right. Ah, origins of COVID-19, who opened Pandora's box at Wuhan? People mm-hmm. or nature? It's by this guy, Nicholas Wade. And he's on the right. But it's a very long article. I, I forget, I mean, it's like over a thousand words. It's a long article. But when you get through it, you have to say he has some legitimate questions as to the origin of this disease and, and exactly how it came about. Now, I think that I'm not going to delegitimize him just because I don't want to hear. I'm like, hey, this is some sound arguments. And then I think that they need to do a better job, they being the people like uh, Fauci and people of that nature, of actually breaking it down scientifically without irrefutable evidence that, hey, this is where it came from. And I have yet to, to see that. They have one 
and I'm not a biologist, or, and I'm not an epidemiologist, I'm none of that. So, but I can follow a little bit of the technical stuff because I have a background in science. And I haven't seen anybody publish anything conclusive one way or the other. So I think that still is out there in the ether. And I, and I think legitimately it needs to, it needs to be uh, discussed and, and investigated. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I'm of the mind that it's here now. However it got here, it's here now. So you have to deal with it in real time. Because I think a lot of the people who think that, oh, well, then it came from the, from the Wuhan lab, then, okay, well, if it, you, in the same breath, they'll say it came from the Wuhan lab, and then in the next one, they'll say, like, oh, it's not real. We can't have it both ways, right? You're, you're saying, you can't say, like, oh, well, it came from the Wuhan lab, and then, boom, oh, it's not real. So you, you understand? But so you're trying to, trying to just take a, a contrarian view of this just because, with no validity either way. Now, if you do think it came from the Wuhan lab, in fact, I guarantee a lot of people will hold those two things in their mind, which are totally opposed to one another, that it came from the Wuhan lab and then and, and then Fauci did it and, 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 and he's the devil. <laughs> and then also, it's not real. It, it's astounding. It's stunning, but I mean, you see a lot of that contrarianism when it you know in the online community when it comes to this thing they can't even recognize it and you see that on both sides the right and the left when it comes to uh this pandemic or as they call it quote unquote pandemic mm-hmm. well fauci did kill kobe allegedly <laughs> in, in god god goddamn deep state no but I mean, if the, I mean, if, if this was inten- if this was intentional, you know, it was brilliant. You know, just release a super bug where, you know, on a nation that seems like it's, you know, where most where a great percentage of the people, you know, can't wear a mask to look out for, you know, the fucking common good. You know, you release this amongst the culture that, you know, <laughs> where we were talking about before you came on um, came on for us, uh, where the second most popular or most read book or claimed to be read book is, um, Atlas shrug. Um, and, in that <laughs> unranned ideology, you know, like what, what better way to bring this, you know, place to its knees than asking people here to fucking care about somebody other than themselves or maybe their immediate family. Maybe, yeah. uh, maybe when the Chinese allegedly released this virus from their lab, they, uh, were just studying, they were looking at the statistics of the most read books in the United States and they saw like Ayn Rand's book was at the top. And they're like, okay, yeah, they're fucked. Okay, cool. We're good. We can do this. Like, <laughs> see, see now, I, see now, I'm confused. Is Fauci a communist or a Randist? I don't, I don't know. I don't know anymore. It's hard to know. He's both. He's a. They don't know. They may be like people, people out there because they don't read. You know, they say like they read Ayn, Ayn Rand's book. They ain't read shit. They haven't read Atlas Shrugged and none of that shit. People just lie. It's like today. Uh, That's um, exactly the argument I was making for us. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 you go. I, re- I remember today, uh, um, oh, man, a couple of Republican uh, uh, politicians got caught up in posting a picture of, uh, oh, what's my man's name? Kill JFK. Uh Help me out. Oswald. Lee Harvey. Thank you. Lee Harvey Oswald. So they posted a picture like in commemoration of <laughs> Memorial Day, right? So they did it and then they got called out on it. And then uh, uh, that dude, uh, what's his name? Uh, Getz or whatever, the cat, the cat uh, 
the Florida uh, Republican who's in all the trouble because of oh. his doubts. Yeah, with 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 children. Gates. Um, yeah. 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 So so uh, anyhow, long story short, uh, what's her name? Uh, oh, black black woman. I'm having brain farts today. I think I'm still in engineering mode. Uh, what's the uh, Candace Candace Owens? Sir, Candace Owens. And she said that. How dare you, the person that goofed on Republican uh, lawmakers, he said, she said, how dare you take a, 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 a Photoshop of Lee Harvey Oswald's head and put him in a uniform and blah, 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 this. And then people were like, no, idiot. He was in the fucking service. They did not Photoshop. So what I'm saying that she came out hard, it was Candace Owens always does. Like, you know, when she said Hitler, his problem with that, he, he just... He 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 left Germany. He should have tried to, you know, just kill every Jew and the black folks and every non-Aryan person on the earth. He should just he should should just confined it to to Germany, which made her like a fool even amongst her her peers. Like you know, like the white people that she's always trying to impress. They're like, nah, you went too far. And then she's like, oh, I guess I did, massive. And then she she had to come back and, <laughs> and, and apologize a little bit. But it's the same thing with that. Always oversteps her bound, right? She doesn't know shit other than to run down black people to white people to make herself look good and get paid for it. But then whenever she ventures out of stuff that she has no clue about, she always looks like a dunce. And that's the same thing about these people who say that they actually read any of Ayn Rand's stuff. I bet you if you quiz them on a specific portion of the book, they wouldn't know what the hell they was talking about. They would just be shut down, right? Because I, I, I feel, and what I've seen is that people are always quick to say things just to make themselves look good and are always sweating bullets because they're afraid somebody's going to call them out on their, on their BS. Right? So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think you know, most of the time when people say that they, that they read a book or, or they're in line with this political ideology, you know, more times often than not, they haven't read shit on them. They just like you know the what? person is. Oh, I was going to say, like, if I were to quiz, because I mentioned this earlier on, Forrest, that I had actually read Iran's books when I was younger. So I can, yeah. like, I, I understand the mindset. Like, I don't believe in it, but I understand it. So the thing is, in Atlas Shrugged, there's, a, like, there's like sci-fi elements in it. There's, like, a death ray, like, weapon that the government makes. And, like, one of the scientists in the book, like, completely compromises on his ethics and morals and starts working on this project to make this death ray machine. It's really fucking weird because the entire book is just sort of out of place. I don't know why she wrote in a sci-fi thing in there. Anyway, if I were to quiz some motherfucker who's a big Ayn Rand fan, I would definitely ask them about the Death Ray Laser. Because that's, you know, you know they haven't read it if they don't know about the Death Ray Laser. I hadn't read her stuff, right? I'm not going to lie. Yeah. I probably yeah. should just like you to have a better understanding of it. But that being said, I'm not going to say that I read this when I read it, I don't know about it, or I just know it just on the periphery maybe, but a lot of people just want to make themselves seem more intelligent. We're too old old for that now for it. Like, I ran (laughs) the young young kids game. Like, we don't have enough years. We don't have enough years left to devote time to the Well, I think that's the thing is it is it gets people it's usually younger people that really like her books because if you're kind of a smart kid you like to read usually you're like teenage years and your early 20s and that's like when it's really interesting to you like that's when it gets you and then 
you're a Randian objectivist person, you know, like if you don't get out of it, you don't get out of it at that point. But like, I'll tell you, like, I'm like, I'll tell you a big of a fucking dork. I am. The reason I read, I read the fountainhead and then I read Atlas shrugged because I wanted to play this video game called, um, Bioshock. Cause I was really into video games when I was younger. And the Bioshock video game is this like, uh, steampunk, game it's like the, and it basically what it does is it takes the philosophy of ayn rand and it, it's like what would happen if we actually created a city under like it's like this you know sci-fi thing where it's like this underwater city uh where people go down there we're gonna make this like ayn randian wet dream utopia where you know people can just like live you know, by the sweat of their brow or whatever. It's like this whole objectivist philosophy thing. And then when you as the main character, when you show up, everything has gone fucking terribly, terribly wrong. Like they developed all these wacky ass, like genetic, uh, uh, fucking vaccines and shit that like make, gives you superpowers and they start like killing each other. It just gets completely out of fucking control. And it's like really good at critiquing her, uh, her whole ideology and her whole philosophy. So I like read those books so I could fucking understand it so that I could play this fucking video game. <laughs> and it was really good actually because like I got through the Fountainhead, which is fucking what it is. And then that Atlas truck. And by the time I got to the video game, the video game completely just deconstructed her philosophy. So I like went through this whole like thing where whatever pretenses I had of like liking her stuff was completely obliterated by the time I got done with that video game. And then I read a biography of Ayn Rand and she was a fucking mess. She's a fucking mess of a person. And I'm like, yeah, like I'm never, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. No, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> just, well, wanted to, just wanted to share that I'm with all of you. Well, I'm going to interject this because we were talking about Adam Curtis's, uh, politics and mm-hmm. uh this is from his wikipedia page and i remember reading this previously like a while ago so i pulled it up and he said this in 2012 of his general political outlook curtis has also remarked people often accuse me of being a lefty that's complete rubbish if you look at the century of the self what i'm arguing is something very close to a neoconservative position because i'm saying that with the rise of individualism you tend to get the corrosion of the other idea of social bonds and communal networks because everyone is on their own. Well, that's what the neoconservatives argue domestically. If you ask me what my politics are, I'm very much a creature of my time. I don't really have it. I change my mind over different issues, but I am much more fond of a libertarian view. I have a more libertarian tendency. What's astonishing in our time is how the left here has completely failed to come up with any alternatives. And I think you may well see a lefty libertarianism emerging because people will be much more sympathetic to it or just a libertarianism. And out of that, out of that, excuse me, will come ideas. And I don't mean localism. So I think that he has, I, I guess he uh, appreciates some leftist ideologies, but at his foundation, I think that he's like uh, Julian Assange. I know a number of times people got pissed at me on Facebook because I'm like, well, I, I, I respect his news reporting, but you got to remember this dude is not on the left and people would get outraged. And then I'm like, no, he said it himself. I'm not lying on him. He said it in many different interviews. He's libertarian also. And he believes in capitalism. 
and, and all this different stuff. And that's not to uh, say anything or disregard his reporting or his work. But that being said, I understand that he's coming from a different ideological slant than I am. So mm-hmm. it's, it, it's, it's, it's insane sometimes how people uh, revere somebody and their work, but they can't accept them in totality. And they want to see them as being akin to what it is that they want, even though all the evidence is to the is to the contrary. It's, it's, it's really stunning me. But you find that so many times nowadays that you know like, you start tipping over sandcastles and whatnot, and you know, like not even tearing people's idols down, but just being able to look at them in a in, in full view. You know, it's like I've t- I've had this conversation before about Muhammad Ali. He's he was a great boxer. But he was very overrated as an intellectual. I mean, he, he, he wasn't, I hate to say this, I know people get pissed off. He wasn't that bright. And he voted for Reagan. And he was very conservative. He said some very derogatory things about uh, black people, specifically Joe Frazier. But if you tell people these things, they just don't want to, they just don't want to face it. They, it's like they're just in perpetual denial because their heroes have to be perfect. I mean, even even Malcolm X, who I like a lot, but yet still, I understand he was stunted as far as being part of the Nation of Islam. I like the fact he was always growing to the day he died. But that being said, uh, he has some very patriarchal aspects of his personality, right? That people need to accept and and, and, and look at him as a total person, both good and bad. Of course, you hope he would have changed and grown. I'm not the same man that I was at 25, but you can't view... People is just being these monolithically good people and not look at them as far as all their character traits, both good and bad. Truly. Like, like, I mean, at this age, if you still have like heroes that you think are like really heroes and like pure good, like it's definitely not, you know, like as a teenager, when I was like really getting into computers, it, it goes back to that, you know, it's the California ideology again, like Julian Assange really, brings it up like he doesn't care about governments he wants to like obliterate all the governments he's a he's a cypherpunk like he just thinks all the information should be free no matter how destructive it might be and um and i i used to really like that concept and but that's when i thought the internet was actually going to fix things instead of just make them <laughs> make them radically worse <laughs> well colin do you think that there was like a because i mean the documentary of course talks about how the the Randian point of view was kind of there from the beginning almost. But do you think there was like a, do you think it was like in the seed of the internet? Like the actual, like, like the internet itself, as it was conceived from the very beginning, do you think that it was always meant to kind of go in this direction? Or was there like a moment where it kind of got like, cause I think we often conceive of it. Like the internet had these good days where it could have had so much potential and there was so much that could happen and then these big tech companies came in and started to like monopolize all the spaces online. And I wonder if that was like always the plan, like that was always the way it was going to go anyway. I, um, I mean, in, in because of where the internet came from and like yeah, the time period, I, I think that was always kind of inevitably where it was going to go. Hmm. Uh, I don't, I don't know how much of it was a plan. Cause like, I know a lot of the like early internet pioneers, thought that they were really doing good and might might not have been thinking of like making an Ayn Randian, you know, hellscape out of the future, but, <laughs> but, but it, you know, cause when it, when it was 
back before there were just algorithms determining who we talked to, you could just like log on to a BBS or, you know, then when the internet came along, you could go to whatever forums and there weren't, you know, just three or four big web pages that dominated like 90% of the traffic. And, mm. uh, and so it, there was, there, I, I think there was a reason to think that there, it might've gone differently, but obviously living in the capitalist society we live in as, as soon as like the internet became super popular and, and really people started putting their debit cards online and everything, it was going to, to always be a tool of control. I mean, mm-hmm. and that's, and that's really what you see now is that like, maybe they feel like they let, let it get away from them for a little too long to like too many different disparate groups of people are talking that now we need to break that back apart and uh, mm-hmm. keep everybody in their silos or something. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Patrick compliment you on you. You wanted to be so prepared to play the game that you actually read a couple of Ayn Rand, <laughs> Rand books. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that, just a fucking I mean, that, dork. That's, I, I could, I could totally see you doing baby. that because <laughs> you are you're fucking you're as prepared as anybody I've ever known. But <laughs> you know, with with what with what you were saying about how the game itself uh, just shredded the ideology. I guess my question, and I and, you know, I don't know exactly what um, you know Colin does, you know, in in his career, but maybe any of you can, you know, answer this, I guess I'm, I, I guess I'm curious where there might be. Um, I, I mean, I guess I, 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 I see what the change of algorithms has done to like our ability to like organize our ability to like build movements or, you know, these things. And when I think about, you know, this video game, um, Bioshock, um, you know, it got me thinking about, you know, some games from Rockstar, you know, that were pretty subversive too. Um, you know, and I guess I just wonder about untapped potential in terms of resistance, because I mean, I, in, in the end, we're still using, um, you know, the master's tools, but, you know, there is that, you know, argument that, you know, yeah, you can fucking tear down the master's house using his tools, you know? So I guess I, I, I wonder, um, maybe what that might look like. Like, I, I, I don't know. Or is, is this something where you just, you know, you, you bring back the fucking Terminator or something and send them into what cyberdyne systems. <laughs> I, I don't fucking, well, <laughs> I don't like, fucking know. It's like we were Uncle talking Ted about, was right. Yeah. Well, we we're talking about identity politics a little bit earlier. Like we were joking about the Raytheon, uh, being at the the pride parade you know like all these corporations now at pride month they put the rainbow flag on everything the rainbow design on all their brands and stuff and there's like so much of i think that's how like contemporary capitalism works and how power operates is it's it's like there's nothing that isn't commodifiable anymore there is nothing that can't be hollowed out and played with and turned into something that can um like I, I think it, it's like with social movements too. It's like with protests, like they can, th- there's a certain point where the protests are acceptable and it's just like, let's let the people kind of let off some steam here, 
You know, if, if like you have a massive woman's march and they're all wearing like pink pussy hats or whatever, that's acceptable. But as soon as you start burning shit down, then it's like that you're a threat, right? So there's a certain threshold that the state and capital has for what's acceptable. And what capitalism does is like pretty much any movement that we've seen within a month of those movements, when they're really radical, they get very quickly co-opted by whatever it is. It could be the Democratic Party and various nonprofits. It could be, um, you know, Ben and Jerry's or whatever, some fucking like, it's always something. And I think the same, I, I think about like when uh, people play with ideas, like how many movies are there? about some small band of resistance fighters fighting off the evil empire and we watch it as entertainment and we're like literally in the middle of the like we have resistance fighters fighting the evil empire and we're where we treat it like entertainment when it's really happening and we're not doing the thing that we are applauding these fictional characters for doing right so it's like i almost sometimes i wonder where the line is where art or entertainment can really like help inspire people to see things as they really are um, and kind of mold people's imaginations or direct it in a certain way. Or it's just sort of draining us of our energies and our potentials because we feel like we participated in something without actually doing anything. And I think that's how capital works. Contemporarily, it's like, how do we, um, like you can capitalize on radical politics. Like social justice is something you can just invest in uh, socially and not do and it doesn't really do anything it doesn't change anything and i think that's how like social media works now i think that's so much of how technology has worked for so long um it just i don't know that seems to be the direction that we're going in and have been going in for some time because yeah the system is really adaptive and it will like absorb anything into it and it'll make you know it, yeah i don't know that's it <laughs> Look, look at the, you know, look at, what was it, like the early 2000s up until like, I, I mean, I guess it's still kind of happening, but there's been that, this this wave of dystopian fiction movies. Yeah. And is it like, is it trying to prepare us for like, this is really what, um, you know, get used to it because this is what's, what it's going to be like from now on or, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, or just like defanging it to where people are like, oh, it's hopeless and this is just right. what, what we're going to deal with. You know, and um, yeah, but I, but I don't know. They definitely do like uh, manage to get in there right away. You know, like me and my, I have a friend that we we play Call of Duty online, and I, you know, it's the most jingoistic like pro military. <laughs> like they literally use it to train military guys, like it, you know. Yeah. And, and so we would always just sit around and shit talk it while we were playing it, but it's entertaining and stress relieving and whatever. And then one day, all of a sudden, we log on. There had been an update. And it, they had, like, a whole new Black Lives Matter splash screen for this game. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah. So the military is now pumping out Black Lives Matter propaganda. Like, like we're really in the Twilight Zone. And, yeah. uh, yeah. you know, it was just so deeply cringy that it, it was yeah. almost hard to, you know, we already had to put effort into making ourselves play it. And then it just, like, <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, man. Well, yeah, they're going to appropriate anything, man. You know, as you said, Patrick, hollow it out, fill in what it is you need to make it look as if you're on, quote unquote, their side. There it is. 
I mean, it's been done for years, right? I mean, you see appropriations of all kinds when it comes to, I guess, any mass movement, right? Eventually, it gets watered down in this capitalist system. Hey, man, they perfected it. I'm not gonna yeah. lie, they they have perfected it. You know, you got Nike up here talking about, you know, like Black Lives Matter. Yet still, you know, they got five year old kids in Southeast Asia making making uh making our shoes, right? But no one has a problem with that, right? They just what they've done is that, what they did is they've just uh I guess isolated all these different things, and I think the difference between you guys and I guess even myself. I like to think so, yeah, is that we see it as just all interconnected and the way they're able to sectionalize things and get people in this group to not understand, like, well, this over here is attached to what it is that you're doing also. But when they isolate themselves, they're like, well, it's just Black Lives Matter. Well, okay, well, then you got to worry about all these other things. And when we go into different countries and, and how that's a part of it, and then the things that you sign on as far as, the military industrial complex. Then even if you look at how many people are involved in uh, uh, the, not even the political, but the uh, uh, infrastructure here. I mean, how many black lieutenants are there? How many black cops are there? How many black judges are there? How many black lawyers are there? And they're all part of that infrastructure. And there's always enough. And that is the beauty of the system. They always get just enough to get you to believe that there's nothing wrong with the system. Right. I mean, like a lot of people after after Barry became president, a lot of white people like, well, you know what? Even though I hate that motherfucker, you can't say racism exists anymore because look, you got a black president now. So don't say that. Like, look, I hate the motherfucker, but hey, this proves there ain't nothing wrong in this country. And then a lot of black folks like, yeah, you know what? Yeah, they're kind of right. Yeah, yeah, shit. Yeah. You can make, you can succeed, you can do anything. I'm gonna pat myself on the back again. <laughs> and that, so, I mean, it's an outstanding job as to how they're able to appropriate so many things to get people not to understand, I guess, the bigger picture in all this and then just focus on just their one little myopic viewpoint of, of their of their uh, survival, not even at a collective level, at an individual level. And then hopefully it'll touch a few other folks, but more than anything else, especially here in this capitalist system, we consider if one of us make it, is especially true in the black community, then we all made it. And, yeah. and that type of mentality is what is keeping a lot of things from being seen as like, uh, I guess, a, a cohesiveness and togetherness amongst all these disparate organizations who need to understand like, if, if you're disaffected, then I am also, and find some type of common foundation, but we, we've had yet to see it. I'll just say this really fast. We talk about the internet, I mean, think about it, man. We have all this mass information in front of us, and we ended up with Trump as our president. I mean, that, that right there is, is, is the most stunning and astounding thing of all, and people actually think that this dude is an intellectual giant. So it, it, I, the, I'll just leave it there. It's like we were talking about earlier about like just the hyper-complexity of everything it's like the easiest way to, to go about it is just go about your day, stay in your lane and don't try to connect the dots. Cause then it's like, you're probably never going to figure out, you know, where it ends uh, until, until it really does end, you know, but it, there's no, 
you know, there, there, I guess there are people like us that will like try to piece this all together and try to figure things out. And then there are people that just want to play their video games and go to bed and, you know, yeah. and so it, it doesn't, it doesn't strike them as like discordant to say like, I love Black Lives Matter and Call of Duty, you know, or like, you know, whatever, like they, yeah. It, yeah. I need to interject real quick because I need to let this dog outside because it's freaking out. Forrest, you missed it. I am ba- I am a dog sitting right now, so I have to take this dog out because she's <laughs> squealing at me. Um, so I'll just put myself on mute. You guys keep on talking. I'll be back in just a few minutes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. Party Patrick's away. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Look at that, man. He tried to run the McLaughlin group here, and he McLaughlin, he heading out. You're the one that coordinates this, man. We need to get the one that sustains all We're going to have to unionize. <laughs> <laughs> Collective bargaining with Patrick. <laughs> got to do something. Got to do something. Getting out of hand here. That celebrity, that celebrity status, I think, is setting in for him. He's the goddamn Burt Reynolds of the group, I think. <laughs> no, so with, with with Patrick with Patrick out of the room, could we could we when when did music stop being being good? Like when did it completely go to shit? Like was it Master P make crack like this? I, I don't know. When was, when was 90, that? It was the nineties for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Man, two dot man. Once it became two two G, I was done. All this is crap now, man. I'm sorry. I know Patrick. He's a young cat. He listen to that. It's crap now. I don't give a fuck what genre it is. It's it's just crap, man. I don't care. All, all across the board. You know? I was just up in Portland hanging out with with high school friends all weekend and literally lost my voice because we just stood around a bonfire in the backyard, like playing '90s music and singing as loud as we could. And uh, hell yeah. The police, the police didn't even come, so it was good. And uh, you know, uh, but yeah, I, like those kind of that period of songs. You know, like even when I was like friends with them, like we were talking about it this weekend. They're like, you realize, like me and you have been bonded over like eleven months of friendship in high school. Like after that, we like graduated, and then we've just always considered ourselves like best friends. But looking back on it, like we made that. You know, eleven months is nothing. Like you, it fucking is gone in like a day. You know, but at least you got that, man. Everybody in my high school that I'm cool with on Facebook or they my friends, they all pretty much think I'm crazy. Like but, my, my my friend that I was hanging out with think I'm crazy too, but <laughs> they they still tolerate me at least. So. I am the I am the token leftist now. The token leftist. Yeah. I, d- I definitely have a lot of friends from high school that have defriended me from Facebook because they're like, all you ever do is post political things. And it's like depressing. And I was like, well, then you obviously, we have nothing to talk about. Yeah, is that right? That's like, <laughs> uh, I can get no, kind I, of a cool demise of this culture. You know what I mean? I, I, I kind of take it more lighthearted than I did a few years ago. You know, I try and make a joke here and there a little, but even in the jokes, Underneath it all is an understanding, like, our time is limited, baby. <laughs> our time is limited. I don't know what's going to go, but our time is limited. I'll, I mean, I'll say Colin made a great point. Like, 
I mean, when we're, when we're younger, like, you know, I mean, I mean, we can bond, make these friendships and, you know, and they'll last, you know, they'll last a lifetime. And, you know, I mean, I still in communication with, um, you know, one of my friends that, you know, I met when I was like four or five years old, by the time he was seven, you know, he, you know, he lived an hour away and I rarely saw him, but, you know, here like 35 years later, you know, I mean, we're still, you know, we're still buds, we're still boys and, you know, and it's, yeah, I'm that crazy, crazy leftist or, you know, or whatever, but, you know, it's, it doesn't matter, but yeah, I don't know, but that's where I appreciate, um, kind of where it seems like we've, we've gone, um, with the genesis of, you know, of the show is kind of making these online friendships, you know, turn into, you know, something more significant, you know, and it really does help, um, like navigate these times to have, you know, people to talk to that, you know, you love and respect and, and whatnot, and, you know, and get to talk to, <laughs> and get to talk to, um, you know, you call and bring you, you know, on board and, you know, see how you're doing and just, you know, talk to, talk to regular people that we just respect, you know, not somebody that's, yeah. you know, trying to sell a book or vote an article or whatever, just kind of a, you know, Hey, what's up? Let's get together and talk about Adam, Adam Curtis, you know, and yeah, it's I, fun. <laughs> I, I really appreciate you guys having me on. And like, I, you know, I told you I was nervous, like heading into it. Cause I was like, these fucking intellectual giants I'm going to have to talk with now. It, it really, it, it, you know, it felt just like hanging out, talking to friends. And like, I, I don't only ever really, you know, phone met Forrest before. I, you know, yeah. just, you know, people I saw online. I think what's cool is, uh, cause we've had uh, a couple other people on that we invited on and, uh, it's just cool. Like, cause you know them online, you haven't heard their voice before, you know, like, I don't think, I don't know if, um, Jeff, if you've ever talked to Forrest before you and, and all of us started this or Mike or anybody else, but, um, you know, we're just like people and we're just like friends. We want to sit and chat. And so I think, yeah, that whatever artifice of, uh, whatever it is, um, I don't know. There's a, there there are people who I've talked to because I do my podcast, my other podcast, and I've I've talked to listeners before. You know, like I've had conversations with them, and they always have this weird thing. Like it's really weird to talk to you because I've been listening to you for however long, and then I feel weird because I'm just like just, <laughs> just to come like yeah, I'm just like some guy. I don't know. I just started a thing, um, and. And then there was, and then I have the same thing when I, when I interview people that I really look up to that are just people like, I don't know, this isn't meant to be a flex by any means, but like biggest example of that for me is I interviewed Noam Chomsky once and he was late for the interview. And when he got on, he didn't know how to use Zoom very well. So... (laughs) The first, like, ten minutes was us fumbling around trying to get him to learn how to use the camera, which he didn't figure out. So we didn't use any video for it, which I was planning on. And somehow that whole interaction with him, it was like, this is just a 91-year-old guy who doesn't know how to use his computer without his wife around. 
Yeah. <laughs> he's like, but he's like an intellectual <laughs> giant. He is the like one of the most influential influential intellectuals in the fucking world. And I'm trying to help him turn on a camera on Zoom. And it just it, all my nerve, like most of the nerves I had leading up to it, just like dissipated um, from that interaction with him. Um, but yeah, like it, it's just funny. Like uh, I don't know if the internet makes it better or worse, but um, we're just people making things or doing things and and then i i I really like this podcast because it does stand in contrast with what i do with the other stuff because i respect all you guys a great deal um for what you've written or what you've put out there and what you do um but we can all just kind of shoot the shit and just sort of ponder about things openly um and it's great like i I just want to state this actually just as an aside because um I mentioned I was doing this big project where I'm taking all of the episodes I've done over the past... I I just reached episode 300, so I'm going to do like a compilation of these interviews and do commentary about different subjects. So I had one I just released about the ecological crisis and all of that, but I'm going to have one that's going to talk about the uprising, that led up everything that led up to the uprising and and what happened. And I'm actually going to feature... I I hope you're all okay with this. I'm going to feature part of our conversation that we had after... January 6th because that was a really cathartic discussion because it's one thing to like interview people about it and they're professionals and they're providing their professional expertise opinion on it and stuff but just like all four of us just talking about it and how fucking nuts it was like that was a good cap for me uh with the whole subject so I think I'm gonna actually feature it in that section um I, I'm <laughs> just not, so I, you know, I, I'm not. I'm not actually Mike, but I endorse this plan. Okay, you're standing in for Mike. You, everything you endorse <laughs> is Mike's endorsement. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that works. Uh, yeah. So I, I can't. I can't, yeah. I can't remember what we what we said. I, I want to go listen to it myself because, um, in hindsight, since so much time has passed, you know, like almost six months now. Uh, um, I like to know really what my or what I said then and how I think about it now since a lot of time has passed mm-hmm. and I've seen like exactly how things have transpired since that since that time. I mean, uh, I can't say that I, I was shocked when it, when, it, when it happened. I was kind of like, oh yeah, they finally went off the rail. I mean, like when you knew that they were going to be there, you knew that that was just a tinderbox. It didn't take much to just boom make these yeah. cats explode. Yeah. You know, I saw, I know I wasn't shocked, but it was just like, man, they, I tell you what I was shocked, shocked about is how many people wanted them to be successful. And I had a couple of interactions with people like, well, I didn't want to be successful. I'm like, you, you, I like, you cast, those cast is worse than motherfuckers that's in there right now. So I don't want to give all, you know what I mean? I always use like the civil war as a, as a, as an example. Yeah, man, the North is fucked up. You know, but yet and still, I sure shit don't want you to fucking win, right? So if it's the lesser two evils, then I got to go that route. But it, it's it was starting to me like how so many people wish they would have been successful when it would have been worse if those Neanderthals had been in charge of everything. I mean, my man with the horns and all that shit. I mean, come on now, dude. I mean, I don't think you got to be like wearing some stuff to, you know what I mean? Like, I really don't care about your, your, uh, your attire, but yet still, 
that motherfucker was crazy. In fact, didn't Mike say that his wife taught that cat in in school? They went to high school together or something like that. Oh, yeah. 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 That's weird. Yeah. Well, like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I, I guess I wasn't really shocked by it either, but it was like, like, because you can't really be shocked by it since they were like saying that they were going to do this, like leading up to it. And then yeah. what, what kind of shocked me is like how convinced so many of them were that it was actually going to work. But they're like, we're really taking this over. So me taking a picture of myself without my face obscured, just rifling through Nancy Pelosi's desk or like through anybody's desk out on the Senate floor, like just what, like they really thought it was like done, like that they had like seized yeah. the, seized the means of production or what, you know, like the revolution was <laughs> over basically. <laughs> they don't know what that means. All it took, you just walk in there and it's yours now. And yeah. like, well, no, daddy, but here's the thing, once you, once they got in there, you got to remember they left for their own accord. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like nobody, nobody like there was no mad rush from like the National Guard or anything. No, they all just sauntered right all out. And the thing is, is like, what's those saying? Uh, be careful what you wish for. You just might get it. And they got it. They didn't know what the fuck to do with it. They like left a note. You know what I mean? Like took a <laughs> took a, a, a Pelosi's uh, computer. I mean, they did like childish shit. Like like if you just busted up in your high school, you know, what I mean, you all I would piss on the principal's desk and you know what I mean? But day after that, it's like, well, let's go home. And that's kind of like how it was with them. It's like a whole bunch of kids that actually had some power. They're like Lord of the Flies. Only they at least kept it going until until then. These cats, they just stopped of their own accord. They just walked right on out. They didn't know what to do. So, I mean, they could have they kept going, but they just said, you know what? We don't know what the fuck we're doing, so yeah, let's go home now. They were they were waiting for their daddy to give them directions, and he kind of backed much. away. He's like, "Whoa, like, okay, <laughs> okay, <laughs> all right." So he said, "Okay, so yeah." He said, "Okay, so 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 it, it so in terms of like the like the folks that you all are are, are referencing, like I like I'm 100 percent with you. Like I, I like I agree with that, but given." Um, I, God, I don't know how many hours of footage like like I've looked at, but there was a group with within. Um, okay, so you had you you had Trump holding a MAGA rally, you know, across from Congress, obviously. But within that group, you had a, a, a white militia that were organized, acting together, and in formation. They were holding um, in in a line, in a line, holding each other, you know, each other's collars and and going into maneuvers. Like I haven't seen um, any videos released of what they did when they got inside. And that's not to take away from what you you guys said about the buffoons that, you know, walked off with the goddamn Nancy Pelosi's, you know, lectern and, you know, messing up offices and shit like that. But it's just to say, like these you know these clowns you know what 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 they what they seem to be doing now is being able to give um you know this fascist party this openly fascist party now the GOP or QOP um as some people are referencing them you know the opportunity to say well it was it was no big it was no big deal they were just like tourists um yeah. mm-hmm. which you know part of them 
you know, they were, it was like, you know, we like, like, like you said, it's like, you know, we got in here, we sat here, it's fucking over. We did it, you know? And it's, I guess like anything else, it's just, I mean, to me, there's a lot of gray area and there's a lot of surveillance footage, you know, from that, that, you know, we may never see. And I, you know, and I doubt we see, um, you know, but, but I mean, aside from that, (laughs) um, you know, we've, it's, it's not been good, obviously for black indigenous, you know, so many people here, you know, like in America, but we have had, um, you know, stability, whereas, you know, the Nate, you know, um, whereas others haven't. And I just, one of the things that struck me recently is I was, I was studying Thailand a bit. Um, you know, I, I, w- I was talking to a, you know, a woman from Thailand and I wanted to know more about that place. And one of the things that came up, um, you know, in, in learning about it is they've had like 18 military coups, you know, since like 1860. And I'm like, mm. I'm like, God damn, what the fuck? You know? So now that you've got these folks talking about like, I don't know what the hell is his name? Michael Flynn, former general, like calling for uh, a Myanmar style military coup here in America the other day. It's like, you know, I mean, we haven't had to deal with this shit yet, but you know, we might, you know? So anyways, that's just kind of I, where yeah. I'm at. And what I think, but <laughs> I agree with you. I think, uh, yeah, the majority of people were kind of like zombies and then there was definitely people that were organized and, um, and I think that it's like well, there was a really good article that came out. I can't remember the name of the author, but she was from Turkey, and she talked about her experience being from Turkey, being a journalist from there, and how they've had coups as well, and how people on the outside. Oh, there was another one, a guy. I think actually we read an article of his for one of the episodes we did, um, talking about being in Sri Lanka, I believe, somewhere. I think it was Southeast Asia. Uh, anyway. They've had coups as well. So, like, these people that know what a coup looks like and how they operate, it's like, they understand that what happened on that day was a coup attempt. <laughs> and that because it happened, it's like the blow already occurred. It's not like we can just go back to that time before where it's like that just seemed impossible. And, yeah, nothing – well, I say nothing, but um, I guess the the worst of it didn't happen. That's true, but I think – what I see is the GOP just kind of re, you know, as you mentioned, Jeff, they are a pretty overtly fascist party at this point. I see them kind of consolidating power. They're, con- I think, what they did with Liz Cheney recently. She's a fucked up person. Like, no sympathy for her, but, <laughs> but she's like a pre-QAnon Republican. She's like from the Bush era, right? She's the daughter of Dick Cheney. She's like, still believes in this so-called legitimacy of elections. So for her to just say that the big lie isn't real and that uh, Biden won fairly in an election that just fits into her whole political scheme. Like it just makes sense to her. The GOP is on a fucking different trajectory. Now they're just very different level they're playing on. So like she just can't be a part of the leadership anymore. And that just says everything. So yeah, Jeff, I think you're right. And I think also, I think because of what I mentioned with that journalist from Turkey and the other one, they're just like, yeah, America, sorry. It may be really hard for you to accept, but you had a coup attempt um, and it's not going to go away and you got to just deal with that. And, uh, you know, there's going to be other instances in the future that are going to be, um, you're going to look back at what happened on this day on the 6th and see the repercussions of that. 
And especially now that the GOP doesn't want to even let there be a, uh, what is it, uh, an investigation into that day, you yeah. know, uh, that just it speaks volumes to me. I don't know. I'm just like, okay, like the next four years is just the GOP reformulating their whole position on things, how they're going to move forward in the next election. And they're just going to do everything they can to basically prop themselves up through any future elections and and they've been doing this for a long time and i think that the conservatives have been doing this for a long ass time they've been systematically undermining whatever sort of democratic institutions exist um over time and now that's just just sort of the end game result of that well because because i mean they they're literally a, a minority party and they're going to get more and more minor as they yeah you know as this as this whole thing goes down and yeah. so they're just like they know that they know democracy is not going to function for them, you know, yeah. for their goals. And so they're just going to uh, do everything they can to end it. It's, I can't even, was it, was it from that fucking was like, no, when it, when it comes down to it, the Republicans will give up democracy before they give up their ideology. For like sure. they're not, you know, and that's from like David from like, he's not like, yeah. he's a never Trumper, but that's about the only kind of good thing you can say about him but yeah. and he, he acknowledges that and like so i that's you know they, yeah. it's not like they but fortunately we have the democrats to save us from all that with look at how <laughs> look at how well they're leading it <laughs> yeah i don't know i think uh yeah it's it's sad because like there's no uh there's no counter to it. And I mean, there is in a certain kind of way, but not really like not, not in the institutions anyway, like pretty, like that's the fucked up thing too, is like you have literally the Capitol police that are like pleading with Congress to do something. Cause they were, they were the ones that were assaulted during that whole thing. And it, really, and it just shows how they don't give a shit about police. Really? Like it's just, a, Oh Fuck. Blue Lives Matter as long as they're not beating white people that are right. trying to storm the Capitol. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, it's, all I... Just a, it's all just a euphemism, really, though, right? I mean, yeah. Blue Lives Matter. It's not even White Lives Matter. It's like, no. In fact, somebody wrote that on uh, my man's mural here in Houston, uh, uh, George Floyd. Somebody defaced it and put, niggers' lives don't matter. I mean, it was just straight up. And I think, like, when you boil it all down, that's what it really saying. It's saying, like, white lives matter. And it's like, no, you niggers, it, it, yours doesn't matter at all. I think that that's the thing that people don't really want to face. I like when I saw it on the bureau because I was like, at least somebody being honest. Because that's what all these different, these lives matter. Is that, no, I had nothing to do with that. say, like, no, we really don't give a fuck about you. We're glad you're dead. Right. You know, and, and the, the whole George Floyd thing. And, and once again, it's not him. Uh, I was going to write about that. I mean, the fact of the matter is that I grew up along, alongside George Floyd. He never had that good of a relationship. Right. But that being said, what happened to him could just as easily happen to me, my mother, my father, you know, whomever. Right. So, I mean, like right now, what are they, they celebrating? Uh, um uh, Black Wall Street, right? Mm. Uh, Tulsa, mm. the Tulsa, Tulsa Massacre, right? Yeah. So you can identify with that because you know that's been a long history of black folks in this country. 
So even if you don't get along with somebody or they don't represent you, I guess, as far as an individual like Fort Palmer, the one thing that we have in common is the fact that we're black and that's always possible to happen to you. So, you know, so they had a back to blues for like, well, yeah, just as long as you killing black folks or imprisoning them or disenfranchising yeah, them, yeah. then we cool. But <laughs> when it comes to me and policing me, uh, you better get to the back of the bus, right? <laughs> You know, you know that Biden, Biden is, Biden is in Tulsa today, or uh, is down there as the first uh, president to acknowledge this whole thing. So, you know, look at look at how he managed to wash away his racist history. <laughs> like right, I, I, was just, I was just listening to NPR right before we started doing this on the way home, and like they, they're like, and Biden's down there today, like for the memorial, and the first American president to even acknowledge it happened. And I'm like. Yeah, yeah, he's so great. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. Oh, uh, man. Did you guys oh, hear, well, really fast, did you guys hear when Biden went off on the black folks on that, uh, on that one, the press conference, but uh, on this uh, uh, conference call he had with, like, uh, some black folks where they asked him to, like, use his power for something or other, and he just went off on these black folks. He's like, look, you ain't special. He's like, in 20 years, Hispanics, I'm going to be the number one minority. Basically, what he was saying was that, like, look, y'all going, you taking a back seat to me now. You got to take a back seat to these motherfuckers, and and, and it was very uh, revealing as he was trying to play one against the other, right? Like, that's what he was trying to do, like, bring animosity between like black folks and Latinos, because that's the only way that he could still garnish power. So what he wanted is for like him, like, be so thankful to him, and then because I know I. Grew up around that dynamic, you know. There's a lot of beefing uh, uh, between Latinos and Blacks, right? Like, who's the who's the top dog minority, right? You know what I mean? It's, it's really sad. It's tragic. But I grew up around it, so now I'm able to see it now. And when he tried to play them both against or play Black folks against Latinos, the fact of the matter is that, like that, he knows that's how he's always going to be able to keep his power. It's very stark and revealing, right? Well, he will just always say, like, look, man. I run this boat. You motherfuckers are just are just like seamen. I'm the captain of this motherfucking ship. And he always does that when you catch him in his most unguarded moments. He always does that, but it's very, very revealing. But that being said, he has a lot of cachet with black folks because of Barry, right? You know, he got that Barry shine. That helped him out. I mean, not to the degree that we thought that it was, but it did help him out in this election cycle. Plus the fact that it was like anybody but Trump, right? I mean, like they could have ran like a fucking orangutan and shit. Was that Clint Eastwood movie? In which way you can get Clyde out there? They could roll Clyde out there. Hey, they still would have for because then nobody, you know, nobody want that. I mean, like on their side, they want that want that cat to get another turn. That was their main thing, and he rolled that crest all the way to the presidency. I'm sorry. Oh, so okay, so this is this this will be a lesson. This will be a lesson from, you know, the coronavirus pandemic, like from, from the beginnings of that here, um, at least here in America. And, um, how do I say it? Okay. So I, I really fucking dug my heels in and said, I am not going to be gaslit by these evil motherfuckers. Okay. Now that's the frame of mind that I was in, um, you know, during the post-election 
with the, you know, Trump's fraud claims that he had set up like long in advance, you know, um, the seeds that were planted, you know, and, and, and right through the siege at the Capitol and right, you know, up to and, and beyond, um, you know, that transfer of power, you know, to sleepy Joe Biden, you know, because it, it was just <laughs> telling my, you know, I mean, I knew going, I knew going in that these motherfuckers were going to try to paint Joe Biden as FDR, because that's what this moment called for. You know, it was, we need to smash these fascist fuckers right now. We need to, you know, we need to root out everybody who had a hand in this from the highest all the way fucking down. Um, you know, and, you know, and then along with that, you know, we need these massive jobs programs, infrastructure investment, fucking college for, you know, loans, loan forgiveness, you know, and just knowing that, you know, we ain't going to get that shit. You know, what we're going to get is blue MAGA. And what we're going to get is that massive, you know, <laughs> blue megaphone that's going to paint Sleepy Joe as fucking FDR, you know, and they're going, you know, and they're doing everything in their power, you know, to make this, you know, to make him look, um, you know, like he's the best fucking president ever while not doing shit, you know, while back, you know, while backing off every, you know, half hearted, you know, promise, you know, that, you know, that was made, you know, so now it's just, it's full blown spin, you know, to try to make him look, you know, progressive, you yeah. know, whereas <laughs> they'll, they'll, do, they'll, know. they'll do anything in their power to make him look good, except the things that they've actually said they're going to do to like stop this fascist takeover, you know? Yeah. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> I think that's like, a good, I think that's a good note to, we're, we're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're done. We're, we're done. Yeah, we're fucked. Yeah, <laughs> it's no good. I, I, I mean, but to be quite honest with you, I do think that the one thing that Sleepy Joe is doing that is comparable to FDR is that what do they say? FDR saved capitalism, right? Like, so I think that he is in place to do whatever minuscule amount of things that he can in order to just keep the keep the engine going, right? Get us to the next stop. So I think that that's that's that and, and we're so desperate that that seems like it's it's like the greatest thing or the greatest show on earth. We we actually believe. I mean we as far as like I can't say people on the left because the the uh political conversation has drifted so far rightward that you know like the the average uh uh, Democrat today would just be uh, uh, a Reagan acolyte in the 1980s, right? That's, that, that's where we're at now. So I don't even think there's any leftism out there to any extent at this particular juncture. Only shards of it uh, amongst me, you guys, and a few others. But the fact that Joe Biden is here right now and what he's going to do over the next few years would just be to keep capitalism as a structure in place. I think he's going to do it because people are just so desperate. It's going to roll over. That's, that's what we were saying before, man. It's so resilient. It's never like, it's impossible to stop. Like it, it'll always, it'll always, it'll take your movement, defang it and sell it back to you. And that's, yeah. that's what it does. 
I mean, he already said that he, you know, he already gave up the whole uh, student loan thing. It went from like $10,000 maximum. Now I don't even think he's doing that. And he just totally just discarded all it. And, you know, he was, he, eventually he'll get to a lot of the other stuff he was talking about, like get, di- discarding that. But uh, uh, the people are still going to believe. And so as long as he has that, he should be okay. Yeah, I hate to say it, but that's just a fact. Well, we've got another three and a half years to be disappointed over and over again. Yeah, seems like. Oh, way. Barry already did that. Barry, I mean, Barry, Barry did that. You know, he came out gold. You know, then they then they got like the uh, uh, Trump in there, and then they everybody hate him. But then you know, like it's people just can't see like this thing is going down. There's nothing. I mean, it's resilient, as we said, but eventually. All things come to an end. So every, I tell you, one thing that we know is like every other person is animal or creature on this earth is going to live and then die. No system, no matter how powerful a culture is being across this globe, every empire has a beginning, a height, and eventually an end. And this one will be no different eventually. It's just the way it is. But you mean we're not at the height right now for us? <laughs> I know, right? No, I hey, think we're on the decent. America's just, America's back, baby. America is back. <laughs> it, made, back it was made time. great again four years ago, from my understanding. Like, yeah, yeah. Desperation. That I was a desperation. Made make you feel make you feel like you winning and you really losing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't. I don't even. I say this real fast. I don't even know what to say to like kids nowadays. I can't even. I can't even say anything to them. Like the younger folks, I, I, I have nothing to say to them. What's your, favorite, what's your favorite self-defense round? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, just go. Just go. Just go, Randy, and don't give a shit. You know, the world dies when you die. Welcome. Yeah, maybe yeah. that's why it resonates so much. Just feels like, well, fuck it, you know. I don't know. It's just, it's just sad. I, I don't know. Sorry. No, I mean, I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't get as upset as I did like a few years ago about it. Because I realized, not to say I want to die tomorrow, but I am forty-eight years old, right? I got more room behind me than ahead of me. More than likely, I doubt I'm gonna live to hundred. I want to get to eighty, and then that's that's it. After that, I'm good. After that, every day is a bonus. I mean, if I'm even able to make that, but you know, it would used to really like discourage me, and I went through such an emotional roller coaster for many years. Man. It's only now that I'm kind of like got my feet planted. I tell anybody this because you can't come to the realization of what we've come to without having some, you. You have to be inhuman, to be quite honest with you, not to have some type of emotional involvement uh, back and forth as to what it is to do. But now it's kind of like, you know what? I'm just chilled out. I'm just relax. Everything comes to end, be it my life or the life of this planet. And, you know, that's that's the road that we decided to go down. I mean, I didn't make it. I didn't pave the road, but I got to walk it just like everybody else. So, yeah. Uh, that's, that's exactly how I look at it now. Because that helps me just remember, like, yo, it's not my fault. It's not Patrick's fault. It's not, you know what I mean? And, and to be quite honest with you, when you talk about the environmental issue, I told I, 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 I told many people on Facebook, I said, look, be quite honest with you, 
I mean, from an environmental standpoint, we probably killed the planet like 1955, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then we just like just went overboard since then. But you know, we had already started fucking around with the environment, climate, and all this other stuff before then, man. So, you know, I said, man, you know what? Even even when they had the first Earth Day, was it 1970, 72? I think 72. Like that. When they had that first one, right? We was fucked in. We were fucked at that moment, didn't even know. Now yeah. we just like worse, right? So. Yeah. Well, but good news, good news, good news, though. I mean, Patrick posted a fucking Little John song the other day that's a fucking <laughs> banger. Y'all should check it out. Dude, it's so good. <laughs> it's a, it, it's fucking epic. It's a compilation of Enya and Little John, and that's the era we're living in. It, the, the gifts of the internet still keep on giving. It's, yeah, everything we talked about is true, but as long as we have DJs making fucking remixes with Enya and Little John then I'm that I'm good. I'm placated, I'm fine. So I'm happy and get through the day. Yeah. For, Forrest just said in the chat, I just stepped on my mic and fucked up my headphones. <laughs> oh no. That's how he ends that's how he leaves every uh every episode we record. He smashes his headphones. It's like a dropping the mic for Forrest. Fucking A. <laughs> he, he didn't even get to bang the bang the desk for who he wants on the next show. Oh, uh, I wonder gotcha. if he can, uh, well, I don't know. I feel like that's a good way to end this. Forrest breaking his headset that I bought for him. <laughs> Fucking little, that little John triggered him. It, uh, he got <laughs> can upset. you guys hear me? Oh, hello. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're back. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I know. That's what I'm really pissed off about. You bought me these nice, nice headphones. I like fucks it I'm sorry, man. I love them, though. I'm going to get the same kind. Motherfucker. That's so funny. 